Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network, and joining me today after a family vacation is Mr. Neil Nelson. Welcome back, brother. Hey, it's good to be here. We survived the Great West. What was it, two weeks on the road? Two weeks on the road. Well, really a week and a half traveling, but it was it was phenomenal. God was with us. Everything went really well. We really enjoyed ourselves. And then uh, saw the Grand Tetons. Really, it looked like yeah. some epic pictures. So. Yes, Tetons were definitely our favorite, but Yellowstone was amazing. Uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota and the Badlands were beautiful. Um, just every little bit of it was good. We have an, an incredible creator uh, that we worship and serve, and we live in a pretty great country. Amen to that. And then Brent Snyder's with me. He's uh, he's in the middle of a commute back from the big old carry. So uh, how are you doing today, Brent? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm trying to navigate traffic and zoom at the same time which is probably not safe but uh it's what i'm doing so please pardon any background noise or obscenity that i might scream at my fellow driver which is kind of what me and neil are hoping for because if yeah. you do scream at a fellow driver i don't think i'm going to edit that out i'm just going to leave it in so we're, we're going just for authenticity we're, we're going for authenticity here speaking of authenticity that brings us to our subject today which is plagiarism in the pulpit uh recently this has been brought to light uh at uh, the level of nationally by a few haters out there not not big ed Litton fans who have accused him of plagiarizing jd greer's sermon which to be quite honest after watching the clips i would be in agreement that he did pretty well lift that sermon but he did lift the sermon with permission from jd greer quote saying if my bullets work in your gun, go ahead and use my bullets. So J.D. Greer was okay with him using that sermon from Romans. Uh, and then Litton went on to remove over 100 sermons on his own website afterwards. So let's just start into this. First of all, what is pulpit plagiarism? Well, well, if I had to take a gander at it, and, and again, I my, my wife graduated in journalism, so she could probably speak to this more clearly than I could. But but from a pulpit level, I would say it's any time you're taking the work of another person and you're presenting it as your own would be kind of a simple definition for me. Yeah, I, I second that definition. I mean, I think um, I think journalistic plagiarism and plagiarism in the pulpit. Maybe, maybe there is a little bit more leniency in the pulpit um, with being able to take someone else's work and uh, sort of be able to expound on that without constantly um, sort of citing them over and over and over again um, throughout. But generally, I agree with that definition. Yeah, just to be clear, for some of our listeners, why we're kind of slow to, to make a real fast decision and say, oh, it's definitely this 100% of the time is because of a series of questions you have to ask yourself. One question being this, brothers, is there any way to truly have an original thought in 2000 years of Christendom? Is there any way to have an original thought on any text that you're going to be preaching without venturing over into some form of 
heresy or skewing of doctrine? Well, well, I was just going to say, if you've got one, you ought to be a little bit fearful. Um, but then I also was going to joke that it worked okay for Joseph Smith. So you kind of kind of took both those from me before I could say them. But but probably probably we're not we're not going to be having too much original, and I don't we really shouldn't aim to, in one sense. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I don't even know that the goal should be original thoughts so much as it is contextualizing the the thoughts. Of course, first from scripture, but then even from um, church history and the position that the church has traditionally held on whatever scripture you're, you're preaching. And just to be a little bit more clear, in case we, if you've stumbled on the Appalachian Baptist Network, and this is the first first time you've ever heard us together here, uh, one of the things that we're all proponents of and believe in here is when it comes to hermeneutics, which is a fancy way to say interpreting the word of God, we wholeheartedly believe that it is very much the willed authorial intent of scripture that we are after and trying to communicate. We do not believe that you are trying to just take a text and make it a nifty lifty and bend it to whatever your will is to try to say, but instead you're trying to take a text and communicate back to the people what the, the willed intent of the author is. And that's going to, that's going to mean a couple of things. One of the things that's going to mean is you're going to have to have a, if you don't have the tools in your tool bag, you got to know where to go to do a little bit of Greek or Hebrew work uh, to find that out. Because there's some things that are not real easy to see sometimes in a plain English writing. And you need to see uh, what those who have done good Greek and Hebrew work on the text have said about it. Uh, and so you're, wanting, you're trying to trace out arguments, you know, particularly if you're dealing with Paul or some of those letters like that. And so, you know, the thing that we're going to highlight and say, too, is for a long time, pastors have been using helps. This goes, my mentoring pastor, who's 90 years old, when I got to raid his library, uh, he, get, he had a copy of a book that Lifeway, which was the Sunday school board back then, produced. It was like 52 sermons for the morning, 52 sermons for the evening. The outlines, all you had to do is put a little bit more flesh on it. Have you brothers ever seen any kind of helps like that before? Yes, I, I got I got a number of books from a a, a, a good friend of, of Billy Graham's, um, T.W. Wilson, uh, through Parental Connection, and, and he had a number of those outline books as well in his library. I don't, I don't know how much he used them or not. But before we go further, Trav, I, I got to ask, um, Nifty Lifty, do you need to cite anyone for the usage of that phrase, or is that a Travis Tyler original? I can't remember. I wasn't the originator, but it's been so long since I heard it. I can't remember who originally said it. So whoever said that to me originally, thank you for that. It is not an original thought or, or thing with me. So, yes, thanks for pointing that out. Work cited. Uh, brothers, uh, one of the things that I was, I was going to share with this, and this is, you know, I don't remember there being as many accusations of plagiarism 10, 15 years ago in ministry, but it seems like lately it has been rampant. And I think that's probably in part due to a lot of lay people and a lot of other people, uh, having access to sermons and things like that. In fact, I was trying to enjoy a lovely evening at Dollywood and a family sat down with me and immediately began criticizing their pastor when they found out I was a pastor. And I remember thinking in my head, I'll bet you go to a first Baptist church of a county seat. 
So I asked them, I said, where do you go to church? They said, First Baptist. I said, oh, you do? And they said, yeah. And I said, where, where is that? And they told me the town. I said, is that the county seat of where you live there? And they said, yeah, it is. How'd you know that? I said, oh, just crazy guess. But one of the first things they said was our pastor plagiarizes. He doesn't visit the old people. And it's it's always the same, like two or three things. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there is a lot of pressure now because of the internet and the vast access to really good preaching that there is out there, there's a lot of pressure to be excellent pulpiteers and there's not always the same amount of time and the research assistance that some of these other excellent pastors have brother. How do, how do we navigate the pressures of that? And how do we, how do we glean from those guys who have come up with good, helpful framing and thoughts on a text? And how do we deliver that without venturing over into plagiarism in the pulpit? Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it is, I guess, a, uh, a careful juggling act in the way uh, you handle sort of the information that you've gathered from a variety of sources, because we've already mentioned it. But um, you're, you're going to, if you're constantly, like every every other sentence, you're citing someone else's fault, you're citing someone else's fault. But um, I'll, just, I'll just take an example from this past Sunday sermon um, that, that I preached as uh, I was sort of talking about um, the love of God and um, how um, God is um, is is not doesn't love people unconditionally because he doesn't love sinners unconditionally but that everyone experiences uh, different aspects of God's love and um, I believe it was R.C. Sproul. Now I'm going to I'm going to misquote the guy that I quoted yesterday, but uh, I believe it was was R.C. Sproul who had sort of um, I guess characterized um, the different aspects of God's love, um, and so I just simply said I'm going to borrow from the way R.C. Sproul has characterized God's love, and then sort of went into these three different characteristics of God's love. Um, that that R.C. Sproul fills those out in the sense that uh, that I was to contextualize those for our congregation. So um, it wasn't like the whole time through that little five-minute bit of the sermon, I was constantly saying R.C. Sproul said this, R.C. Sproul said that. I actually didn't take that many direct quotes from him. I just sort of used his framework. So. Um, I guess this way of an example, that's kind of how it looked for me, even just, uh, just yesterday. Brent, you're kind of cutting out. I think you must hit a, a hard spot there. Neil, can you, uh, can you kind of tell us where you think that line is? I know it's kind of hard to distinguish when you're preparing. Yeah, I think, I think that was Brent, what you were saying, hopefully the listener will get to hear a lot of that. I think was really good. Cause I, I think there's going to be moments where, where maybe a particular author, maybe even a speaker or a, a sermon you heard is going to have a, a large level of influence that would go beyond what you could cite again and again and again, but to point to their influence in the shaping of the structure at whatever level I think is entirely appropriate. You know, Travis, one of the things you said that I thought was interesting that, that led me to think about, 
in terms of the helps that we use, when we use a commentary or we go to the original languages, so often we may cite the meaning of a word that we've been helped with from a commentary without citing. So, so in one sense, we don't have to cite where we heard two plus two equals four from. If it's true, it's true. But at the same time, I think sometimes in terms of the nuances, there are times where, where a commentator will help us and, and maybe we don't cite that. So I, I think a big part for me is going to be issues of integrity and, and, and the, the situation you described to respond to the pressure we feel as a pastor to perform um, at a certain level in terms of our preaching. I think that kind of pressure is a fear of man pressure. And, and if we're giving into that, we are going to be much more tempted to respond and act in a sinful way. I, I think we have to give ourselves grace and realize, as you said, you know, sometimes we're going to forget where we heard nifty lifty. But, um, but at the same time, we ought to do our best to not take credit for something that is not our own and misrepresent ourselves and mislead the people we're preaching to. Um, and, and I think that, that in our, in our, our realm, it's, it's easier to make light of that. I, I can remember the, uh, a pastor that was at the church I grew up in after I attended the church. He, he was um, doing some plagiarism of sermons, and, and one of the elders at the church happened to be a, a published author. And so for them, the idea of plagiarism was, was extremely offensive. So I, I, I think we have to remember how big of a deal it is and, and work with integrity, even if that means um, early in the sermon saying, hey, much of the ideas, much of the, the framework came from a particular author, speaker, um, even if we use that and then make it our own. But, but, but and Brent made another great point uh, in, in his sharing with what he quoted from R.C. Sproul. At the end of the day, that preacher preached that sermon to a particular audience and would have driven it home to them. And it's our job as preachers of the word to drive home particular passages to our listeners. Now, while no one is entirely unique, the needs and the situation of our, our cultures could be. So I think we have to take all that into account and, and be faithful stewards of the word and representative, representers of ourselves. Um, and, and, and not give into the temptation you mentioned to, to bring an A game every week if it's going to lead us into, I guess, misrepresenting ourselves. It's not going to be a home run every week from the pulpit. That's just no. not reality. And, uh, and, you know, I like what you said there. You know, one of the things, and, and we're all big on having good ecclesiology and good study of the church is, you know, what makes your church unique? Well, what makes one thing that makes your church unique is where it is. You know, like the call of for, of Grace Baptist Church is the same as Minneapolis Baptist is the same as where you serve in Wisconsin, Neil, and that is to the to make disciples and to love one another in a way that reflects the great commandments. But we're doing it in three different communities in three different contexts, trying to reach those people. And so, and you know, I'll say this: like it is, it is easier in some ways if you know your congregation, you've been there for a while to drive that home than it is just stepping into somebody else's pulpit at another location and trying to preach that same sermon. Like I have preached sermons here at grace and I've tried to take that same sermon to my home, excuse me, my home church, 45 minutes away to preach for homecoming where I'm plagiarizing myself. Right. But, and it just, it didn't, it didn't really fit exactly right because the struggles at that church were not really the struggles at, you know, the church that I was pastoring. It was just two different things. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a need to drive that home where it's at. I think guys get in trouble for not giving proper citation and then in not giving proper citation using the, like in Lytton's case, 
the exact same points and the exact same illustrations and people are just able to kind of google that and figure that out i mean our our church members are not dummies you know what i mean they're they're going to be able to to figure it out after a while if you're running on something like that you know so um you had a pretty interesting story though where people got a little upset neil at another church a guy had a had a what do you have in his head something in his ear right yeah, he had an earpiece in, and, and, and essentially that, that I'm aware of, it wasn't an issue of plagiarism, but he was sort of representing himself as, as, as having a, a sort of a, a high, or a high, a large amount of scripture memorized, as well as preaching from rem- memory, when in reality, he was actually listening to a recording of himself preaching the sermon while he delivered it, which, which in and of itself is a pretty neat trick, in my opinion, um, but, but, but got into some heat for, for sort of have, having presented himself uh, with certain giftings or abilities that, that he didn't necessarily really have. And, and so again, the issue there that I had heard of was never an issue of plagiarism. It was misrepresentation, which, which probably comes from that same part of wanting to be something we, we, we aren't or present ourselves in a certain way that, that, that tends to slip into falsehood. This is really the issue, right? Because at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to find a Bible verse that says thou shalt not plagiarize because the word plagiarism is not in the Bible. And there are kind of two camps of thoughts on this, right? And I think we've tried to demonstrate that well. One person says plagiarism is just not, you know, it's not, it doesn't exist in the pulpit because there's no original thoughts out there on the Bible. In 2000 years of Christendom, everything that could have been said about a passage has been said about a passage. You're just mining through and finding it or accidental plagiarism, as Neil pointed out, like when I said, I can't remember where I found Lifty Nifty. Uh, and then the outright plagiarism where you're just borrowing like Lytton did with J.D. Greer, even though he asked permission, uh, you know, not not giving proper citation whenever he started with that sermon, if that was the case. I didn't see the whole sermon, so he might have done that, but later they released a thing about it. So, and then the other side says, no, this is a breaking of the eighth and ninth commandment. You know, you're you're lying, you're representing yourself as something you are not, and that's truly the issues. Don't you think that's kind of the spectrum you would say, for yeah. for where people shake out yes yeah and, and wouldn't you say those those types of issues those are to some extent we're going to have to be careful and discerning in, in how we try it. or in particular the church going through that situation is going to have to be careful and discerning in, in how they're figuring out or where they're figuring out that their particular pastor is because because to your point that, that people can fall anywhere on that spectrum of how they're trying to utilize other resources or other preachers in their preparation. And, and, and obviously, when we get to that far end, there's an issue of the heart that is clearly sin. Um, but, it, but it may be that while what they're doing is wrong, um, they're doing it from a, a under-informed conscience or a, a, with a different understanding of, of right and wrong. And that sounds, sounds like I'm being very subjective, but I, I hope you can take my meaning to say that, that what they're doing they feel is an appropriate way to handle sermon, even if, again, when we know the rules of plagiarism, it's not appropriate. Does that make, does that, that make sense? What do you think? No, I think that's true. Uh, Brent, your thoughts? No, I, I agree. And I don't know. I've had some technical difficulties there. I don't know if what I said before it even came through or not. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think you guys are getting the nail on the head. Um, and I would just say from the standpoint of, uh, I guess, the benefit of citing sources, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a healthy pastor wants wants his flock to be feeding um, on God's word more than just what time he spends with them. 
through the week. And so I always look at it as, as you know, prayerfully uh, the, the guys and the sources that I cite in my sermon will uh, hopefully trigger in my congregation a desire to say, hey, you know, I want to I want to look more into this person or into that person or maybe read more of their material. So that way um, it sort of creates a standard what the pastor feels like are, uh, I guess, safe, safe boundaries for for their flock to sort of do their own personal study and devotion time and the resources of the authors, the commentators um, that, that the pastor respects, hopefully the congregation comes to respect those, those same guys. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point to always be pushing. One thing I've noticed, and this is some some guys do this, and I don't personally do this. I just don't have time to do it. But they will, and this is I think it's in larger churches. They will actually release the sermon word for word, and the sermon will have citations in it. And I think that is to help with some of the um, some of the not having to go through as you're speaking because speaking and writing are so different, right? When you're writing, you don't, there's not the same level of like repetition and, and in speaking, there is a level of repetition that is necessary to stick in people's minds. And when you're speaking versus writing, you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier to citate whenever to put citations in whenever you're writing versus speaking. I think you can just wear people out. It's kind of like it Litton said in SBC weekly, um, when you're mining for diamonds, you don't hold up the shovel and dirt, you hold up the diamond. You don't just keep, keep showing what got you there. The people are looking for the diamond, not the shovel. So, all right. Closing thoughts here on uh, plagiarism in the pulpit before we shut this session down. Well, 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 first of all, again, I, I mean, I, I keep hitting the same drum, I guess, but, but always it's, it's, it's issues of the heart. And, and, and are we, is what's behind what we present on a Sunday morning as a part of our, our study we've done in the word, is it about making the word more beautiful or is it about presenting ourselves in a, a less than factual way? And, and so we're, we're going to have to be discerners of our own hearts and churches are going to have to be careful to guard the hearts of pastors. But one other thought I had there is I, I think churches need to understand the pressure pastors are under as well. And, and when it comes to preaching every Sunday week in, week out, and potentially at many churches having a Sunday evening or a Wednesday night service as well, you're putting a lot on a pastor if you're asking them to teach uniquely at all of those, and in addition, continue to care for and watch over the flock that they've been entrusted, that has been entrusted to them. And so in that sense, this is why it's good to understand that, that you've got to think through the expectations you have for your pastor on how frequently you're expecting them to prepare, teach, and preach, because that, that is one issue that can cause strain. And again, we don't want to excuse our sin or excuse our, our deceit, um, if that's the case, but but by putting that strain, it, 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 it can challenge or tempt a pastor. So, so maybe churches can be mindful of that as they're thinking about this issue from a church standpoint. Yeah, it's a good point. I think that, uh, I think that a pastor that intentionally, uh, willfully, and certainly consistently plagiarizes, to your point, Neil, that pastor is probably more concerned with his image than he is with, uh, with the image of God. Uh, with making making much much of Jesus because um, I don't I don't know much reason much many other reasons why you would intentionally if you are a pastor allow your name to be nominated 
I think he cut out there. We're going to give him one second to come back and then let him complete his thought there. So Sounds good. And, and while we're waiting, Travis, would you say that uh, it's fair to say that J.D. Greer was the John Davis to Ed Litton's Millie Vanilli? Is that... <laughs> I think so. I think so, for sure. You know, you couldn't do an episode like this without a Millie Vanilli reference. And if you're too young to know what that is, you need to do your homework and look up Millie Vanilli. Uh, They were they were a band in the the 80s, Neil, or was it 90s? I I think early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, they got caught lip syncing. Of course, they were lip syncing their own stuff, but they're doing all these concerts. And it's just an issue of the same sort of it's really a sin of the sin of the same kind of thing, you know, presenting one thing and really it's another. So I think Brent might be back with us there. Brent, can you hear us? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It cut out. I don't even know where it cut out at. You're in the middle of my dive drive. You, you said, Neil, you made some good points and then you kind of trailed off. Oh, I apologize. I, I thought that was the highlight of what you had to yeah, say. Yeah, that's all I heard. That was it. That was, it. That, was, that, was uh, that was the pinnacle of what I had to say. Yeah. No, I, I just uh, I was just saying that that look, any pastor that intentionally physically plagiarizes, um, to Neil's point, I think is probably more concerned with his image than he is the image of Christ, um, because I don't know a lot. I don't know that there's many more motivations to intentionally consistently plagiarize than to uphold uh, some sort of image that you think you've um, developed of yourself. But uh, the, the second and much less serious note is if you are a pastor who plagiarizes consistently, don't allow your name to be nominated as president of the SBC. <laughs> Boom! There it was! There it was! <laughs> Boom! Just say no or take all those sermons down before you're nominated, right? Uh, that would be that would be the advice here at the ABA. Uh, all right, well we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up, guys. I appreciate the time today, and pastors and and those lay leaders that are listening. You know, I like what I like the fact that we highlighted the pressure that is there. You know, one thing that I struggle with every week is a sermon title. Like I just churning out fifty two new creative fresh sermon titles a year feels nearly impossible to me so a lot of times i just grab a section of the text like you know jesus sent them out and oh there's the title you know what i mean like it's just it's too hard to try to bring that up every week so thank you for highlighting that and then thank and then pastor hang in there keep preaching away keep chugging away uh you know if you need to to borrow someone else's words just let the church know i think they'll love you through that anyway right all right thank you guys and look forward to catching you in the next time okay You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian-Baptist-Network. Join us again next Monday. Music